the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we take your calls, answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus, questions about the Bible, questions about worldviews and world religions. We talk about the past, which is history. We talk about the future, which is in some senses prophecy, but we also talk about the things you care the most about. And one of the things that we've sort of established over the last several months is a sort of a tough question Tuesday uh, feature where you get to call 303-873-1935 and ask me the tough questions about the Bible or some biblical issue. Now that, again, I always preface it with a caveat. That doesn't mean I know the answer. You can ask me anything, and in humility, um, I acknowledge that I don't know. I repeat, I don't know everything, but happy to try to take your call. 303-873-1935. There's several things in the news that I want to bring to your attention, including a... um, a of a feature that's been done by my friend Jim Dennison at the Dennison Forum. I'm going to expand a little bit about what he has to say. But again, if you'd like to join me, it's 303-873-1935. In the news, several different important things, including New Jersey officials are claiming uh, to shut down a Chick-fil-A at, Parkway, at a Parkway rest stop for allegedly having anti-LGBTQ claims. So it begins. The, The beginning is this. If you hold a view about biblical morality as it refers to sexual expression, there's a growing group of people who want to criminalize that belief. Now, at the Denison Forum, my friend Jim Denison, in a sort of a facetious way, um, begins his commentary by saying, today's news is completely irrelevant to me. He says, thousands of pastors in Canada devoted their sermons last Sunday to affirming biblical sexual morality in response to a new law in their country that some warn could criminalize such teachings Um, concerning homosexual, transgender, and other kinds of sexual expression issues. It's called Bill C-4, and I'll talk more about that, because what it does is it focuses on um, something that's called conversion therapy. Now, in order to understand conversion therapy, this is a bill that, according to the preamble, To the bill, it states, quote, that it aims to protect the human dignity and equality of all Canadians. 
And then it goes on and says, everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, including by providing conversion therapy to that other person, is in violation of the law and can face prison for up to five years. So what what does that mean? Prison for up to five years. According to the sections in the law, conversion therapy means the practice, treatment, or service designed to A, change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. So if a person comes in to a pastor or a counselor and says, I um, identify as a homosexual, but because of my deeply held religious beliefs, it's creating a conflict in, in me, and so I want to honor God. So what this bill would, in effect, do is if a pastor says, repent of your sin, turn to Jesus, and believe what God has to say about what it means to be a man or a woman or how to express yourself sexually. So according to this conversion therapy, excuse me, (coughs) it's to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. No, it isn't to change from, from, um, from heterosexual to homosexual. Change a person's gender identities to cisgender. Change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth. In other words, if a person says, "I biologically, they're a male, that's the sex assigned to them at birth. Instead of saying, no, that's their actual gender. If, if, you, if you encourage a person to change. So it goes on, repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, repress a person's non-cisgender identity, or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned him at birth. So a definition is presented, though some critics fear it's too vague to adequately protect churches and other individuals who wish to both teach biblical truth on sexuality and discipline, or I'm going to use the word disciple people, according to what the Bible says about human sexuality. So my friend Jim Dennison basically says that... um, he, he basically says this bill that went into effect January 8th describes as a myth the belief that heterosexuality and cisgender identity are preferable. According to Fox News, quote, counseling that does not align with such a worldview now carries a potential five-year jail sentence. It's not just according to Fox News. It's according to the Canadian law. And then Jim Dennison says, but I don't live in Canada. He says more than 50 million people in the U.S. East Coast are under a winter weather alert. More than 1,200 flights were canceled yesterday as the winter storm made air travel in some places not just difficult but impossible. And then the Supreme Court ruled on Friday that it would hear a case from a former Seattle area football coach who happens to be a high school coach who refused to stop praying on the field and was removed from his job. 
Americans United for Separation of Church and State is supporting the school district's decision, claiming that this case is about protecting impressionable students who feel pressured by their coach. Listen to to the claim. The claim is, wow, if I see my football coach praying in the middle of the field, that's going to make me want to pray. He said, Jim Dennison writes, no one in my family's in high school. And then he says, there was no one left to speak for me. He says he's being facetious, and of, of course he is being facetious. He says, prosecuting Canadian Christians for believing biblical morality is likely a sign of things to come in the United States. And I think my friend Jim Dennison has it exactly right. Remember, a similar bill was offered in California and shut down. But there is a growing group of people who are committed, who are committed to making sure that the biblical view of sexual expression and sexual morality, that there's no place in the popular culture for such a thing. And so, Jim Dennison writes, Likewise, those suffering under winter storm and flight cancellations are my neighbors. I'm called to love them. And what affects one family of faith affects all families of faith. He said a dear friend who saw the story about the Seattle football coach asked high school students, well, how impressionable are they? Which is more likely to create an impression on a child, a coach praying in public? Is that really the biggest impression made in school based on what we talked about yesterday? 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. It's Tough Question Tuesday if you want to join me. It's 303-873-1935. You know, the Bible tells us to speak what's right and true. And in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 6 through 8, it says, Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. In Ephesians 4.29, Paul writes, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who, who listen. And then in Proverbs 15, 1, it tells us to avoid harsh words. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. And now, you know, when we look at the Canadian law, it's called Bill C-4, which basically criminalizes the belief, if you will, to stand up and affirm what the Bible says on the subject of human identity, gender, and sexuality. And John MacArthur, who is the pastor of Grace Community Church, is among many pastors who've been vocal on the issue. In other words, even though thousands of pastors in North America reportedly came together to protest the law, there doesn't seem to be very many 
American pastors who have pointed an appropriate finger and says and said, you know what, we we actually need to affirm the reality of what the Bible says. John MacArthur basically said, ultimately, the dissenters, the ones who will not cave in, are going to be those who are faithful to the Bible. And that's what's already leading to laws made against doing what we're commanded to, to do in the Scripture, which is to confront sin, unquote. Now, again, are we commanded in the Scripture to confront sin? And I'm going to suggest to you that the answer is yes. But we're not simply commanded to confront sin, but to offer a remedy for the problem of sin. John MacArthur says this issue is just going to escalate. He said, quote, I think it's reached a level there in Canada that it hasn't reached here, but it's coming. It's coming fast. That's what John MacArthur said. And the Liberty Coalition Canada, which is a legal group that educates Canadians about the intersection of faith and governance, they basically asked pastors to step up to the plate and discuss the issue. And so, again, thousands of pastors talked about the subject. Now, what's interesting to me in part is that the government, that there was little or no discussion from the government. As a matter of fact, the prime minister of Canada basically said this. This is from Justin Trudeau, quote, it's official. Our government legislation banning the despicable and degrading practice of conversion therapy has received royal assent, meaning it's law. LGBTQ2 Canadians will always stand up for you and your rights. Now, what's interesting even about that statement is they're also not interested in standing up for the rights of Canadians who uphold a biblical worldview. Now, if you were to ask me a tough question, 303-873-1935, if you were to ask me the tough question, well, what is the role of the government when we're talking about these issues of marriage and sexual expression. I think for the most part is, I would say that, (coughs) excuse me, that one of the most important purposes of civil government, according to the Bible is to restrain evil and to promote good. And I've talked about this repeatedly that the purpose of government is to restrain evil, to bring good to society, and then also to bring order to society. And on all three of those grounds, a Christian should, should basically say, well, is it wrong for a government to restrain evil? No, no, a, a government should restrain evil. Should a government promote what's good? Of course, that's what a government should do. And bring order. So the big question becomes, is a biblical view of marriage and a biblical view of sexuality and a biblical view of marriage and the expression of, 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 of sexual expression, is that in part to restrain evil? Now, what I would answer is that marriage restrains evil 
biblical marriage restrains evil by promoting sexual faithfulness between men and women, by establishing a legally binding commitment for parents to care for their children, by establishing a legally binding commitment for spouses to be financially responsible for one another, to care for one another, to encourage one another, um, and to provide legal protections for women and being exploited by men. And of course, marriage brings good to a society because it promotes stability in relationships. Now what, and, and then, the, the the establishment of, of marriage also brings order to a society so that the general public knows who's married, who's not. And this is what's problematic because up until 2001, there was no civilization in history, in the history of humanity that codified, embraced, and then legalized marriage between men and men and women and women. So why is it a good idea for governments to establish, define and establish marriage? Because I think a good argument could be made that there's no other institution that's sufficient for an entire society. We understand, we understand that, that there are many, many people in America who will say, I don't care what the Bible says about marriage or the lack thereof. I don't care what the Bible says about morality. I don't care about what, what the Bible says about um, identity or the covenant of relationship and all of that other stuff. But a society has to come to grips with the fact that to have no definition of marriage or that their definition of marriage is Marriage is between a man and a man, a woman and a woman, or between two men and a woman, or between three women and one man. There, there, there is a subtle erosion that will take place that the Supreme Court has already talked about. Stanley Kurtz of the Hudson Institute wrote this a long time ago. He said in 2004, he wrote, in setting up the institution of marriage, Society offers special support and encouragement to the men and women who together make children because marriage is deeply implicated in the interest of children. It is a matter of a public concern. Children are helpless. They depend upon adults. Over and above their parents, children depend upon society to create institutions that keep them from chaos. Children cannot articulate their needs. Children cannot vote, yet children are a part of society. They are us, and they are our future. That's why society has the right to give them special support and encouragement to an institution that is necessary to the well-being of children, even if that means special benefits for some and not for others. The dependence intrinsic to human childhood is why unadulterated libertarianism can never work. Are there benefits of marriage between one man and one woman? Of course there are. But when we ask and we answer the question, what do we do when a government fails epically in this area? That's a tough question. 303-873-1935. 
Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. And, and again, when we're talking about all of these important issues, um, many, many people accuse Christian Christians of being mean-spirited or lacking compassion. And I suspect that in, in certain instances that that accusation rings true. So how do we do that? How do we have this discussion and say, no, this is what the Bible says about what it means to be human. No, this is what the Bible says about sexual expression. No, this is what the Bible says to ensure social integrity. And so again, it's (laughs) tough question Tuesday, 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Ken, welcome to the program. Hi, Gino. Um, can you hear me? I can. Great. Hey, um, just wanted to ask um, if if pastors preach um, uh, preach on the subject of homosexuality, um, can the government today in our country? Um, uh, um, fight them on the 501c3. I, I, think that the, I think that the answer is no, and let me tell you why. Because the 501c3 has to deal with political advocacy for a candidate, which is different from an ideological advocacy for a position. And so I think that that's not what's at issue. Now, Again, some some suggest that it might be a problem, but I don't think so. I don't think that the 501c3 uh, determination by the federal government to receive tax-exempt um, um, gifts matters to a church because a church is in a separate category. Now, don't get me wrong. Are there churches who have 501c3s? The answer is yes. Our church does. But is it necessary, according to the Constitution and according to law, that a church be a 501c3 in order to be eligible for tax-deductible donations for the congregants? That's a different issue. And so the way that I would answer that question is, no, every church in America has the right to receive tax-deductible or, or, you know, whatever's appropriate to the tax law. Um, so I, I don't think it's an issue. Uh, so a follow-up to that would be, um, uh, it, do you have knowledge of any of the blue states uh, pushing for that? Like well, I have, I have some knowledge where... A few years back, um, there were city councils that were monitoring pastoral sermons about homosexuality um, with the idea of limiting their speech. And so, so part of the challenge that we have as Christians in the, in the public arena and in a, in a private arena in the sense of in church— is to ask and answer that question. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? Does it even speak to the modern concepts of 
of same-sex relationships and same-sex marriage? And does it even matter, you know, what the prohibitions or the restrictions? So I don't—I think that we failed in our conversation uh, for the past couple of decades. And in our failure in the conversation, there was a growing group of Americans who became more and more convinced that homosexual and transgender um, expression doesn't matter. And now we're beginning to reap the horrible, terrible consequences of ignoring something that will literally tear at the fabric of our, of, of our social fabric. Exactly. I, um, that you know of, um, keep asking if you know, uh, first of all, um, what cities were you talking about? When you Houston, of all cities? places. I wasn't talking about um, Connecticut or, or you know, Bernie Sanders, um, socialist uh, northeast. I'm talking about Texas. And so, yeah. again, I was talking earlier about Canada. Now, obviously, Canada, like the United States of America, has a, has a huge spectrum of very liberal, liberal people and very, very conservative people. But this bill that affirms um, what what people are calling um, conversion therapy, it right. went virtually unopposed. Now, th- this subject came up in California and was defeated. But in, in, in Canada, virtually unopposed unopposed. And that's when, you know, it's one thing for 4,000 pastors in Canada to say, hey, are you suggesting, not just suggesting, but criminalizing the belief concerning what the Bible says about about gender and about sexual expression? And I think there's a good case that can be made that C4 is in fact that. It is the criminalization of the yeah. belief that that right. when you ask and answer the question, causing another person to undergo conversion therapy, taking a child outside of Canada. So this this law isn't just limited to Canada. It goes to the if you go, oh, I know it's illegal here in Canada, but I'm just going to go across the border and do it over in the United States or in Mexico or somewhere in Europe. Well, this law makes it illegal to take your child anywhere. And and so a particular interest is the bill's preamble which talks about myths and stereotypes surrounding sexuality. Hold and on, that in these myths and stereotypes surrounding human sexuality, that believing those myths and stereotypes causes harm. So imagine you say to a person, the Bible says that homosexual behavior, homosexual expression, is wrong. Or... The Bible says, thou shalt not lie. And so if you're a male and you say, no, I am a female. And not only am I a female, but I need you to participate in the lie that I'm a female. I need you to say it out loud and I need you to say it repeatedly. Okay. Um, 
you said take a child. Do you mean that if parents wanted to leave Canada and take up residency or or migrate or... Um, well, uh, par- according to this law, it's for the specific specific purpose. It's for the specific purpose of trying to convince a child who whose sexual orientation is homosexual to heterosexual or to change a person's gender identity to cisgender or to change a person's gender expression so that it so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth so if if a mom and a dad of a, of a girl says i'm a boy and mom and dad say no you're a girl and we're going to take you to therapy this law in Canada makes it illegal to take this person to a therapist who has any kind of a biblical worldview, let alone, let's just even talk about a correspondent worldview where, where gender corresponds to reality, that biological reality exists. Okay. So yeah, this is a big problem. Yeah, so we pray, of course, um, that the deception, because ultimately that's what's at the core, that the deception be exposed um, through the light. But we need pastors, and I believe Calvary Chapel uh, wholesale is on that side exposing well, I've got to go. You can hear the music playing, but thanks so much for your call. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this Tough Question Tuesday. I'm talking with Ken. We were, I was just basically referring to the thousands of pastors in Canada who devoted their sermons last Sunday to affirming biblical sexual morality. And again, part of the challenge that they surprisingly have is this is this a little is this too little too late? But Ken, I want to give you an opportunity to finish your thought. Oh, oh, okay. So if you didn't stick around, well, just to make a, a long story short, um, this particular issue isn't just again the issue of of the problem of of this what's called reparative therapy or or the banning, if you will, the illegal, making it illegal uh, to participate in in what people have called conversion therapy. And again, remember, I talked about you know what does that mean? What does conversion therapy mean? And what it means is it, to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. The idea that if a person identifies as a homosexual. And parents are concerned about that and take them to a therapist or a pastor or a mental health worker. You're committing a crime. See, now I want you to just think about how amazing this is. You see, it's one thing to oppose what God has said on any given subject. But imagine you oppose it, and then you criminalize and close the door to revisit it. So Canada actually creates a law. 
that to change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth. So imagine a mom and a dad have a child who's suffering from gender dysphoria. They take them to a mental health person. And now it's a crime. It's interesting, my friend, um, again, Jim Dennison, talks about the situation. He, he quotes German pastor Martin Neimuller, who said of the Nazis, first they came for the socialists. And I didn't speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. And I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. By the way, Martin Neimuller spent the last seven years of Nazi rule in concentration camps. 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, my, my friend Jim Dennison talked about yesterday that he cited extensively from New York Times columnist David Brooks, who basically, um, in his column, David Brooks gave this um, very dark um, – what's the word I'm looking for? This dark description of where – we're headed. And um, he used the expression of David Brooks um, in the sense that David Brooks described our culture as falling apart at the seams. And Jim Dennison writes, I noted my belief that our country is experiencing God's permissive judgment, whereby he allows us the consequences of our free will choice to reject his word and will. Now pause and, and think about that statement that Jim Dennison made. Does God judge people who freely choose not just to ignore, but to reject his word and his will? Jim Dennison writes, but then I stated that today we would focus on ways to respond with compassion. He uses the term compassionate courage, and truthful grace. He says the key is recognizing and embracing our solidarity with our fallen society. And then he says, you and I should do this for three reasons. Number one, he writes, we're all broken. Number two, our culture is a mission field. Number three, Compassion is our best persuasion. And so when he says, number one, we're all broken, he says the fact remains that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's quoting Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He said, I heard a wise mentor say, quote, there is no sin I cannot commit. The same is true for me and for you. Now, somebody might might take umbrage with what Jim Dennison has said. They might say, well, I would never kill anybody or I would never sexually act out or I would never, and then fill in the blank. 
And again, what we have to ask and answer is all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. I wonder what that, if, if this wise mentor said, there is no sin I cannot commit. I don't, maybe he wasn't speaking for everyone else, but are you so sure? Are you so sure? Jim Dennison writes, I'm not committing the sins of those who embrace an LGBTQ lifestyle, but they may not be committing my sins. While there are definitely greater consequences for some sins than others, we learn from Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, no matter what the sin. Number two, our culture is our mission field. Jesus called us to be, well, the light of the world. Now, we are the light of the world. Note that definite article indicating we're the only light. The Canadian government isn't going to be the light of the world. What if I suggest to you, to you that, the, the, that the Colorado state government or fill in the blank, whatever government you want to talk about, will they become the light of the world? Now, when Jesus says, we're the light of the world, there's no second light or third light. If you're holding the only flashlight in the dark room, whose fault is the darkness? Now, we could blame a lot of people in the room for the darkness, but if you're the one with the light, maybe you're the one who has to point people in the right direction. If more Christians acted like Jesus, how could our culture possibly remain the same? So he talks about our culture is the mission field and that we're all broken. But he also says compassion is our best persuasion. He said, if Satan cannot get you to sin, he'll tempt you to feel superior to those who do. Such superiority is itself a sin. As scripture commands us, never be wise in your own sight in Romans chapter 12, verse 16. But it also keeps us from effectively helping other sinners turn to the Savior. And by contrast, a culture that measures truth by relevance will be drawn to our truth when it changes our lives. When they make our truth their truth, they'll meet the truth. And so we have to ask this all-important question. Are lost people the enemy? One person said, no, they're the victims. And that's correct. The evil one is the one who's blinded the minds of the unbeliever. Our enemy isn't flesh and blood. This is Gino Geraci inviting you to join me in the next hour. It's still Tough Question Tuesday. Hey, if you'd like to join me, it's 303-873-1935. Friendly Jim is standing by to take your call. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Take calls. Answer your questions. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.